Okay. Uh, yeah, God is good, isn't he? I mean, I just, yeah, I love the goodness of God. And oftentimes the goodness of God is revealed through other people, right? Like you ever sit in your, on your couch and, and like God revealed his goodness to you on the couch? I mean, maybe that happens, but oftentimes it happens to the body of Christ. Yeah. So speaking of the body, we forgot to pray for somebody. So we're going to pray for Rich and Captain Ron. They're both not feeling well. So, I mean, it is that time of year. So guys, just uh, you know, take care of yourself. If you get sick, you know, we'll pray for you. We pray for Yeah, it was all. <laughs> so Heavenly Father, yeah, we just pray for. We just want to pray special for Rich and Captain Ron right now. Just a great part of our church, a great part of our body, and we just pray that you'll bring them uh, healing. Yeah, Rich is hoping to go back to work tomorrow, so we just pray that uh, even right now, as we pray, uh, even immediately, Lord, that you could heal his body. And restore him and Captain Ron also. And we just pray continually that you will uh, be with us, uh, that you will speak to us, and open our ears to hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let me see, Captain, uh, not Captain Ron. So, so Rich gave me a joke to say today at church. So, if you don't like it or if you're offended, go see Rich. But he's not here, so too bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you ready? I'm just going to, let's see if I can find it here. Said, so, okay, it starts funny. I mean, it's getting close to November, so it's even more funny. All right, a politician and a pastor go up to heaven, and Peter shows the pastor to a small room with a simple bed and a nice window. The politician, thinking of the meager provisions for the pastor, now is worried where he might stay. Surprisingly, Peter brings him to a beautiful mansion with many servants for him. The politician doesn't understand and asks, Peter, why? Peter says, well, we have many pastors that live here, but you are the first politician to actually make it here. (laughs) Yeah. This is the only time that I'll probably get very political, so. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so, thank you, Rich. Thank you, Rich. You're not here, but you're here with us. All right. So, let's turn our Bibles to James chapter 4. And, um, and we're going to be speaking today about humility. And uh, it's, it's, it's fun to speak about a topic maybe that you're, I was telling Gary, that maybe you're not comfortable with. Uh, because every time you speak about, the humil- uh, about humility, you're faced with the glory of God. Or as we've been talking about, you're faced with the holiness of God. And this is what's so amazing. So we're going to turn to two verses. First, James chapter 4, verse 10. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I want to read another translation, the Amplified. I don't uh, get to read from it often, but I I loved it when it said it here. It says, humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance and insignificance in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will give you a purpose. Isn't that an amazing verse? Now let's go also to Psalms chapter 10. 
um, yeah, 10, verse 17. It says, You have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their hearts. You will cause, uh, you will cause their ear, uh, cause your, <laughs> I can't read. What does it say up there? <laughs> yeah, I'll just put anything up there. I'll read it. Here, let me actually turn it here. I think I typed it wrong. That's what's going on. So I usually type it out. So Psalm 10. 17. 17. For Lord, your, for Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear. Isn't that an amazing verse? You know, I was, I was reading... Uh, this verse, this is what got me started about the idea of humility, was this verse right here. And it's the fact that, you know, when we are following God and when we're humble before God, it says, you know, God, God's ear hears the cry of his people, of the, those that are humble. And humility is one of the most significant characteristics of God's people. I mean, if we are without humility, we find that we also don't only, we lose what distinguishes, distinguishes us from the world, but we also lose what causes us to prosper as believers. Because Psalm chapter 10, verse 17 is pointing to the idea and the fact that if we are humble before God, he will give us purpose and give us direction and will help us in our way in this, in this life. We go out in the world and there are people and they are so proud. I mean, it, it, it's so funny, you know, as Americans, uh, we are often the most, have the most amount of pride, you know. It's, it's really funny. You know, you ask an American how they did in the test. They're like, oh, I did great. You know, and they get a D. <laughs> you know, but we worked for a long time in the Korean church. And I would ask, you know, the youth group, like, oh, how'd you do on your final exam? And they'd be like, oh, man, I did terrible. You know, then you, you see the paper and it was like a 95, you know. <laughs> you know, we often, you know, in our lives, there can be so much pride and, you know, and significance in our life. Like we, we value what we do and we compensate for what we don't have with like positive thinking. That's what we've been taught as Americans to think positively and then you will be. And we find that happening in our life that we begin to think positively about, you know, who we are in this world or, or what we are doing. And we take the value of what we are doing and we make it greater than, we, than it actually is. In hopes that someday if we put the mark up that high that we'll actually achieve it. But God is saying something opposite. He is saying that you will find your purpose. You will find your desires. You will find who you're really meant to be when you are humble before God. I want to read this quote. Uh, anybody ever hear of Watchman Nee? Yeah, it's one of my, my, one of my favorite writers. Um, it's hard to read because it's so deep, right? You read like a paragraph and you think about it for like months. You know, I'm glad that his books are usually really small, <laughs> but it's still, you know, but he said this, he said, true humility is being able to look at God and proceed on. I love that definition of humility. 
That we are able to look at God and to proceed and to go forward. And I was thinking about it in, in my life, when and what moments do we need to look at God? That's a good question. Because if we're not careful, if we stop looking at God, um, you know, there's humility, but then there's also humiliation, right? They're, they're the same word, but they're also different. Like if I am not careful and I stop looking at God, I will find myself to be humiliated. And the Bible has a lot to say about the enemies of God's people and how that they are humiliated. Actually, he has a lot to say about people and when they are full of pride and how they will be actually an antagonist against God and God will be against them. But we read over and over again in the word of God that the humble he will teach, the humble he will give grace, the humble will he exalt, the humble, the humble, the humble. It seems like the eyes of God, the ears of God, the action of God is towards those that are humble. So in what moments of my life do I need to look at God? I mean, we can talk, you can talk back to me. It's okay. It's not a library. At what moments do we need, do we need to look at God? Unceasingly. What's that? Unceasingly. Never stop. Wow, that's a... Unceasingly. That's a big when we're weak. Okay. When we're strong. When we need hope. See, here is the, the thing that makes it so interesting is that, you know, I could be an amazing believer, yet there is no humility in my life, so I stop looking at God. Doesn't Corinthians talk about something like that? If I, if I sing with the tongue of angels, but I don't have lo- love, then it's nothing. If I preach, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I, you know, it all means nothing. What is what is Paul saying there? He's saying that you could have all these spiritual gifts and you could have all the ability under the, the, the sun and you could do something great. Yet you stop looking at God because you are strong. So you say, God, you have given me the ability. So now I don't need to look at you. It's oftentimes when we're weak, we look at God, right? That's why it is so important that when we're weak, we look at God, yes, and we learn how to respond to God. You know what? When you are weak, don't run away from God. You know, this is, this is funny. Like, it is amazing to me that some believers, that they will look at God when they are okay. How many times you're on the street and you talk to somebody about God and they say, yeah, I'll go to church because, but I'll only go when I am ready. Meaning when my life is in order, when everything is okay, what are they saying? They are saying, I'm going to look at God when I am good enough. It's amazing to me that as believers, we run from God in our weak states when God says that is the very moment that you are to be looking at me and march forward and proceed on. Don't try to hide yourself from who you are from God. You know, God knows who you are. You can't hide that from God. But when you are strong, don't be so proud that you think that you have achieved something. See, we see both examples in the Bible. And we said this a couple weeks ago, right? That, That God chose Israel because they were weak. 
They were few in number. And God gave them a warning saying, when you become great, don't forget what God has done in your life because it is I that has made you great. You know, James chapter four, verse 10, let's turn back there. This to me is like, it's an interesting verse. Because it says this statement right in the beginning, it says, humble yourselves. <laughs> humble yourselves. I mean, to me, that is the opposite of humility, right? If I am humble, like maybe I'm not aware of my humility. But the Bible says that I am to humble myself. Now, it's interesting. We have to understand this and, and bear with me here a little bit, little bit as we go through the Greek to kind of enlighten what this word means. But this word to humble yourselves, it's in the passive voice. And this means that I am the recipient of an action. Okay, so humble yourselves. Actually, I am receiving humility. I am not actively making myself humble. So it's not like, okay, oh, I did a great job, you know, singing today. You know, good job, me. Oh, wait, I got to humble myself. Okay, humble, 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 I'm humble, I'm humble, I'm humble. Okay, oh. Wait, I'm saying I'm humble too many times, so maybe I'm actually being proud. And then you go and you start slapping yourself and say, oh, now I'm humble. Oh, wait, wait. (laughs) The passive voice says that I am receiving the humility. But it's interesting because it's the imperative mood, meaning that there is a command, that there is instruction being given to the hearer to perform an action. It's like two opposite things that are happening. One is that I am receiving humility, but the other side is it is saying that it is imperative that I receive humility. It is so important in my life that I receive humility because if I receive humility, what happens in my life? I mean, James 4.10 says that I will be exalted That I will be lifted up. That I will become who I was really designed to be in the kingdom of God. This is amazing. How is it possible that I receive humility? It's a good question, right? Because if I don't know how I can receive humility, then how is it possible that I listen to what God is saying right now? You know, I think what this verse is saying, that the only way for me to receive humility is to be in the sights of God. That word sights can also mean in the presence of God. And it can also mean being face to face with God. So think about it this way. When I am in the presence of God... What am I receiving? Or how, actually, here's another question. When I am in the presence of God, when I am face to face with God, how do I respond? How do, how do I respond? Let's turn to two stories. All right, the first story is kind of like the negative side. First Samuel chapter 13. We all know this story. And I don't think 
We're going to read the whole... Oh, maybe we will. Uh, 13, starting in verse... Verse 5. It says, When the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as a sand, which were on the seashore in multitude... And they came up and encamped in Mishmash in the east of Beth Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed. When the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over to the Jordan of the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. And all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time that was set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come from Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, and Samuel came, and Saul went in to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What? Have you done? And he said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me, that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together in Mishmash. This is an interesting story. And, you know, we didn't read it, but in verse 10, you know, it's actually, we're going to get there in, in maybe a little bit later in the sermon. But in, in chapter 10, Samuel tells Saul to wait Seven days. And on the seventh day, Samuel was going to come and make a peace offering. But that wasn't the only promise that, that God gave Samuel. Because he also promised that the presence of God would come down on him. So in that story, we have the presence of God comes down. He prophesies. And there's a promise of a sacrifice. Yet look at what happens here in this story. The enemy is gathered. Saul's people leave him. This is two years after Saul has been king. So he's like new, but not very new. He's, he's there and he kind of knows what he's doing. But two years after he is king and his people begin to leave him because of fear of the enemy. And then the man of God is gone. And how does Saul respond? He responds in disobedience towards what God has said. See, I was thinking about it today, like in the presence of God, how do I respond? And see, here's what happens. I forget that I am in the presence of God. I forget chapter 10. I forget the prophecy. I forget the sacrifice. I forget the presence of God. And what do I do in the presence of my enemy, in the presence of distress when people are leaving, in the presence of the man of God not being exactly on time when he said he would? That I begin to make my own provision. See, here is a man who in the presence of God didn't know how to respond. But he responded negatively when everything was going the wrong way. He had enough audacity to say, I will make the sacrifice. I will do the burnt offering. I will do this because this is what makes me great. Is that the sacrifice is being met. But actually what made Saul great was 
the fact that he was anointed, the presence of God was there with him. See, Saul did not know how to respond. Now let's turn to Isaiah because we see another story of another man who is in the presence of God. And how does he respond? Isaiah chapter 6. So, I mean, 1 Samuel 13 is a big deal because remember that only certain people can make sacrifices. Okay? So he is handling something. I mean, there's other stories in the Bible, like Uzzah, right? He touched the ark and he was stricken dead. He didn't handle the presence of God properly. There was a, a measure of pride in his heart. There was no humility. Isaiah chapter 6. And remember, we're talking about being in the sight of God, being in the presence of God. Starting in verse 3. And one cried to another, this is an angel, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And look at how Isaiah responds. He said, woe is me. I am undone. Meaning that I am broken. I am useless. I, I, I shouldn't even be here. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people who of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, Isaiah here, he is a prophet. He is a man of God. And we would automatically think, right? It's like, okay, here is a man. If anybody could be in the presence of God and stand with a little bit of confidence, it would be Isaiah. It would be, you know, a, a man of God, a pastor, a priest, a prophet. It'd be somebody who knows the word of God. He'd be standing in the, in the presence of God with confidence. And be like, wow, look at what God is doing. This is amazing. But when we read Isaiah, what does he quickly do? He quickly falls to his face. And he says, woe is me, for I am broken. See, in the sight of God, in the presence of God, what do I see? I see his holiness. Holy, holy, holy. You know, in, in Hebrew writing, things when they were, uh, you know, one scholar says when they're superlative, meaning when they're absolutely amazing, when this is beyond what we could ever imagine or beyond what we could ever think. So we think of holiness, we have an idea. Then we multiply it. And that is the superlativeness of God. That is the extreme holiness of God. Not like multiplying it three times, but it's used in the Hebrew language to multiply its amazingness. God is so amazing. And when I am faced with the holiness of God, remember we say that holiness means pure in hearts and free from the effects of sin. When I am face to face with the holiness of God, what happens to me? What happens to me? Woe is me. Woe is me. See, two, two stories here pointing to how I should respond when I am in the presence of God. 
I was thinking about this, you know, thinking about, you know, in my life, how I, there could be steps of humility. Like, how can there be humility in my life? And it is funny because humility maybe is something that I am conscious of. It also could be something that I am unconscious of. But there are things that in my life that are markers that uh, can reveal to me if I am humble and if I'm in a place where God can exalt me and give me purpose. Number one, we kind of just said it, that how do I respond when I am faced with the holiness of God? How do I respond when I am faced with the holiness of God? Because we see with Saul, he did not respond well. And what happened to him? The kingdom was taken away. He, he was without God, because he didn't know how to respond when he was face to face with the presence of God. And Saul was the opposite. I mean, and Isaiah was the opposite. Here was a man who has already been preaching the word of God and speaking for God. You know, some people actually say that chapter six should be chapter one. You know, and the idea is that they don't understand how uh, Isaiah could, you know, have a confrontation with God, like, a, a, like see God later in life like that, and then change what happens. See, but that happens all the time to men of God and women of God. We, we are going strong, we believe in God, but then we have a new revelation or a new rhema of who God is in our life, and it alters how we think about him. That's exactly what happened with Isaiah. Like he was functioning in his, like in his relationship with God. He was functioning in a certain way. But then something happened where it grew even deeper. And that's what I am like, you know, asking you today to, you know, yes, you are serving Lord. You are serious with God. I know that. I have conversations with you and I see how you love the Lord. But you know what, there's that moment where something changes in our walk with God and we go to the next step. Like there is a deeper relationship with God. You know, I've heard some people say um, that our, our, our walk with God is like a river, right? Actually, Nelson, you said it too. But it's funny because you said it like a week later, I heard it from somebody else. It's completely different. It was amazing. But it's like a river, right? Like, we are, we are all on the surface, but it's up to me how deep I, I go, right? In one sense. But when I learn how to respond to God, and I learn how to be in His presence, that determines the depth that I go in my walk with Him. The second thing is repentance. This is like when you, when you start studying humility, this word repentance comes up a lot. What does the word repentance mean? Does anybody know? Yeah, just to change your mind. Here, what's that? Yeah, doing about face. Yeah, it means that you were going one direction, and you realize that this is probably the wrong direction, and you go the other direction. I want to read uh, what it means to turn from evil and turn towards good. This is what one other scholar said: it is a conscious decision. That I turn to God. And it's a turning that goes beyond sorrow. It goes beyond sorrow and guilt. See, repentance doesn't mean that I am sorrowful or that there is guilt in my life. 
but it means that I am making a decision to turn towards God. See, we could be sorrowful that we were caught, so we repent of our sins. But, how, but is there repentance when there is no like sorrow? Like when you're not caught, can there still be repentance? You know what? How many times have you repented before God and nobody knows about it? A secret sin or something that came across fleeting in your mind and you repent, you turn towards God and you make a decision saying, God, no more, no more. I want this to be in my life. See, Saul, when we look at him in his life, there was a sin and there was another sin and there was another sin. But there was never a conscious decision to turn towards God. But there was always a conscious decision to turn towards whatever benefited him because he was caught. He was in trouble. But Isaiah, wow, I'm unclean. I, I, I can't even be here. Woe is me because I have seen the king. I have seen the holiness of God. And I have seen my own life, my own lips, and I have seen my nation's lips. And it causes me to say, I'm broken, I am broken, I am broken, and we are useless, we are useless, we are useless. And again, we say humility comes when I understand that I am broken in the presence of God. See, even in your greatness, realize that you are still broken before God. Because the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Like meaning, your goodness cannot be compared to the goodness of God. So if you stand in the presence of God, you say, hey, God, look how shiny my clothes are and how, look, they're ironed and I look good, don't I, Lord? But it should be like, woe is me. Because I see the king. And the last thing I was thinking about, about humility, number one is that we learn how to respond in the presence of God. Number two, we change our mind. And number three, we learn how to receive his grace. Because remember, humble yourselves means that I receive the action, right, of being humbled. Or, so that means God is giving me, in a sense, humility and is my decision to receive it. And if you look, let's turn back to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 10. Because this kind of just drives home... What happened with Saul? Almost done here. First Samuel chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will be and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. That's like a New Testament verse right there, isn't it? When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens with us? We're a new creation. We are, we, our life is brand new. There is something amazing that is happening in our life. And people don't even recognize us because we were angry. And now we have joy. It's amazing. The Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come to you that you will do as occasion demands. For God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal. And surely I will come down to you 
to offer burnt offerings, to make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. Samuel is giving this little nugget of grace. And he's saying, Samuel, take this and internalize it. Make this yours. God comes upon him. He prophesies. Sacrifices are being made. Instruction is being given. Take those and internalize it. Make it yours. Because what's coming? And I bet Samuel knew what's up. I bet he knew what's coming. Because he's a prophet of God. He knew what's coming. He knew the enemy was coming. He knew that there's going to be a momentum test in, in Samuel and how the people were going to leave. He knew that he was going to be late showing up for the, this whole thing. And he knew that in Saul's life that there was going to be fear. But how does he respond when there is fear? See, in my life, God isn't saying that there's going to be no fear. God isn't going to say that your life is going to be a bed of roses. God isn't going to say that ministry is going to be easy or your job is going to be joyful. But he does say that I am going to give you a, you know, a gift of grace. I am going to give you a little nugget. And what I want you to do is I want you to internalize that. So that way when the day comes, when the enemy is there, when everybody leaves and forsakes you, and when the man of God doesn't show up, that you still have enough gumption, you still have enough energy, you still have enough wisdom, you still have enough humility to listen to me and wait. But you know what? Saul forgot all about that. And he listened to his fear. All Saul had to do was wait for Samuel. That's all he had to do. You know, today in our lives, when we're talking about humility and we want to have the ability, I love, you know, true humility is being able to look at God and proceed on. You know, I want us to be able to look at God in our lives. You know, today there is, you know, a few of us here. Look at God. Don't look around you. Don't be discouraged. Don't look at, you know, what isn't happening right in your life. Don't look at the problems. Don't be distracted by the enemy. But look at God. You know what? And I, I am thankful that I'm here and I'm able to preach the Bible and that you guys are here and you guys are listening. But do you know what? If you don't know how to look at God, when you, I'm sitting here and there's a message being delivered and it is from God, you still won't be able to listen because you never learn how to look at God. I love that fact that, you know, Samuel was late. <laughs> uh, he doesn't show up, you know. Like, oh, man, you know, I'll... I'm sorry, you know, my coffee was cold, so I had to heat it up, you know. And then there was no, you know, goat's milk for my coffee, so I had to go down to the store and get some milk, you know. No, I'm <laughs> no I don't know what Samuel was doing, you know. The Bible doesn't say, but he, he showed up late. Look at God. Let's learn to look to God. And you know what? And if there's a brother struggling, help them look at God. Encourage them. Look at God. Look at God. That's what humility is. I mean, maybe we'll talk about humility next week because there's a lot to talk about humility. But that's what humility is, is that I am learning to look at God. I am learning to look at God. How do I look at God? I respond properly in his presence. I change my mind and I receive his grace. Amen.
So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this evening. We thank you for this word that we have heard. And we pray that we will just really um, learn to look at you. Lord, let us not be distracted by the world. Let us not be distracted by the enemy. You know, a lot of people are distracted by the enemy. You know, and I'm not, you know, (laughs) yeah, I'm not going to fill in the blank, actually. Maybe the spirit of God will prick your own heart. I don't want to fill in the blank. But, you know, the spirit of God is pricking you and say, you know, where is the enemy getting to me and distracting me from God? Because God wants to encourage us today. Give us strength. That, you know, that's what the word encourage means, to give courage, to give strength. Lord, we pray that you will give us strength today. In Jesus' name, amen.